0: We first see the upper room, because that, that's that's what I want to break down. You're, are you here? I want to break this down for you about the upper room. We see it, you know it in the book of Acts. And we read that that's where the Holy Spirit baptized one hundred and twenty in the Holy Spirit, right? And that's and that's by the way, that's also where the uh the Last Supper is. Uh, was was done in the upper room not b- many people realize that that 's all probably also the room where Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection this is uh, now we don 't know I mean that was two thousand years ago we 're not sure if this really is, but if you go to jerusalem i've been i 've been to Jerusalem when you go to Jerusalem they say that this is the upper room this is the inside of it okay and this is where they would they would congregate and meet. I don't Do we have other pictures? There was a, yeah, th- there's a picture of the outside of it. Can you imagine Peter standing out on that balcony preaching? <laughs> Three thousand people get saved that day. Talk about a, a problem with church growth. Hey man, what do we do now with 3,000 new converts? Uh, I, I think that's the only picture if there's another one throw it up there. Um, the upper room. And I don't know if that's really the room or not, but when I we we weren't allowed in it, but we drove by it, and I'm thinking, wow, if that was the room, I'm standing right here, where three thousand people got saved. The upper room. Jesus told them to go up there. He didn't say how long, but it wound up being ten days. I think maybe that might be the secret of revival. If I locked all of you in a room for ten days. We'd either come stumbling out, killing each other. The purpose of being together for those 10 days, I think, is to reach a point of unity, to get through in the prayers. And we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But they call this place the cynical, C-E-N-A-C-L-E, the Cynical. And it literally means the dining room. It's the dining room. It's where people ate. I guess it's their version of a restaurant. Well, I wish the Holy Ghost would break out in Olive Garden. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Let's all meet at Olive Garden after church and just turn the place into a revival. (laughs) Oh, some of you wouldn't come because you don't like Olive Garden. Oh, uh, whatever. Oh, Jesus, help them. Reminds me what Jesus said, come and dine. Come and dine, the Master calleth. This upper room experience is about dining. It's about intimacy. It's about being together. It's about being around the table. It's about partaking. It's about breaking bread. Amen. It's about coming together. Come and dine, the master called. I mean, you look at these 120 people. They were not yet in unity. I believe they had to pray for 10 days to get through some things. I mean, look at what you have. It gives a list of all, all, all not 12, all 11 of the disciples were there. And, uh, and some of the women were there, a lot of the women, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. How many believe Mary had some issues still working through? It said that Jesus' brothers were there. Remember all the conflict Jesus had with his brothers. His brothers were always trying to promote him. He said, hey, Jesus, you need to go over here because you could have bigger crowds. You know, they, they, they wanted to be the program directors. We, we still got program directors in the church. Well, the church doesn't, you know, church has programs, but we don't run on programs. We need to run on the Holy Spirit. You've got fishermen. You've got tax collectors, and they were the lowest of lowest. You've got all, the, all these different, you know, you had Luke, the physician. You had, you had all these different kinds of people. from. And, and back then, uh, people who were in different social statuses, even men and women didn't come together. Men, men didn't. So, you know, if you had church and women were on one side, men were on the other. You know, all these people were just mixed in. And you had Peter who, who failed the Lord. Don't you think somebody pointed a few fingers at him? Oh, Peter, oh, yeah, you're going to take over? You messed up. Who are you, Peter? Don't you think there's a few judgmental people in the crowd? They had a lot of stuff. They were people just like us. They had a lot of stuff to work through. So God, Jesus just stuffed them in a room for 10 days, stuffed them in, in this room for 10 days, and they stayed there until they prayed through it. And we all until they worked out their differences, until they understood that everybody's different and we all bring something different to the table. Amen. And we need to start appreciating the differences we, that because if we were all alike, we probably would kill each other. We need different kinds of people to, to, to come at problems in different ways and to help us. Can I get an amen? We need to learn how to cover each other. Keep each other's back. I tell you, there's nothing more destructive, and really nothing makes God angrier than when we stab one another in the back. There's nothing worse than running around talking about your church or talking about your pastor in a negative way and tearing him down. There's, there's nothing worse, nothing more harmful to the church. He said, Well, I've got disagreements. Well, talk to people who can fix them, not people who can't. If you're talking to someone who can't fix the problem, it's called gossip. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, but you're it it's gossip if you're just talking for the sake of talking or talking to make yourself look better. Or talking to get alliances. <laughs> Pastors are always looking for that. I, I've often told the story about the pastor who saw the little cluster of people over there. Oh, they're talking about me. I'm going to take care of this. And he went up there and said, No, listen here. And he found out the little group was the Pastor Appreciation Committee. They Sometimes we just get paranoid about people talking about us. Psalms 133, when a, you know, just a foundational scripture. If you've been here at all, you, you know this is a foundational scripture to our church. Behold how good. Come on. How good and how pleasant or precious. That word really means how rare. <laughs> and when something's rare, it's worth more. How rare it is, how precious it is. Is for brethren, I don't know why I don't include the sisters, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Here's what it's like. It's like the precious oil upon Aaron's head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments because you need to understand, you know, he had that hat on and everything, but God doesn't pour oil on flesh. You okay if I teach a little bit? He doesn't pour oil on flesh. He only pours oil on the garments, garments of praise. And the way for this church to operate correctly and 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 efficiently and under the anointing of God is if we start covering one another with garments of praise. Not 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 garments of flattery. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. The difference is the motive. If you're flattering just to try to control or get your way, that's flattery, that's a sin. But if you're but if you're just Covering one another. And the best way to illustrate it is is that we sometimes uncover each other. And when you complain and gripe and talk about people, you're uncovering them. You're exposing them to the attacks of the enemy. This is so good, I'm going to have to bring the ushers back. This is, you need need to give again for this. (laughs) Can I get an amen? It is like the oil is poured, and then it flows down. People say, I I want my anointing. Well, you don't have to pray for the anointing. You just have to get in place because the anointing is here. The anointing is flowing. And the reason some of us don't have an anointing is because we're not operating in our place, in our calling. And once you get in your calling, the anointing, the oil will find you. If you're the little finger, what are you doing sticking on somebody's nose? You're not going to get anointed that way. If you're the little finger, get on the, get on the hand. Get there where you belong because the oil is flowing in this church. The anointing is here. There's a corporate anointing that's flowing. Just find your place in the body of Christ, and the anointing will find you. Give him praise. Wow. Hallelujah. So let's let's look at this upper room because there's another upper room. There's another upper room in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter seventeen. beginning reading in verse one. And Elijah the Tishbite of the Habens of Gilead said to Ahab, "O King Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word." Mm-hmm. Now then, then the word of the Lord came to him saying. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan River. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Listen, if God commands you to do something that seems to be negative or hurtful in some way, he will compensate for that and take care of you in some other way. So let's look at some points here. First of all, it is time to declare the will of the Lord. He said, I declare no rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain. Wow. It's time to start declaring what God is saying. It adds to, you know, some people say, well, I believe that. But are you declaring it? There needs to be a, something come out of the mouth, a declaration that says, Thus saith the Lord. It wasn't enough for Elijah to hide away and pray and say, Okay, God, let's do it. No, he had to go stand before the king who had the power to take his head off. Sometimes you have to stand in a place where you could lose your head, but you've got to declare what the will of the Lord is. You need to declare what thus saith the Lord. He declared it to the king. Is a human just like us, don't you think somewhere in the back of his head a little voice said, but what if it doesn't happen? It's not like it was already happening. He declared it. And the rain stopped. And then he declared it, and it started back up. Wow. Number two, we're going to see provision this year in the midst of lack. There may be lack or tragedy or all kinds of incidents around us, but I declare in the name of Jesus, those that have found their place in the body of Christ will receive all that they need to carry out their ministry. Amen. You may not get what you want for personal gain, all that stuff. Sometimes God blesses us. But really, really, I, I, I'm wondering if God blesses us with anything that he, that he doesn't mean for us to use for his glory. And maybe that's why we're not getting blessed, because when he blesses us, we just hoard it or brag on it or show off with it. Wow, oh, got quiet in the house. We're going to see provision. Now, listen, th- this may not seem like much to you, but Elijah got fed twice a day meat, meat. It didn't eat. You people back then, average people, didn't eat much. It didn't eat meat much. I mean, if you can get meat once a week, you were doing. you were living pretty high on the hog, literally. <laughs> This was an agricultural grain-fed kind of thing. Uh, uh, bread, cheese, olives, wine. Uh, th- that's, that was pretty much the staple every day, the same old thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you actually had to bake the bread, no wonder bread. And you had to walk to the well to get the water. And you had to pick the grapes and stomp them and all this stuff you had to do. But that was the daily diet. Now, remember it said that Jezebel, that the prophets of Jezebel ate at her table. She fed her prophets. They were eating fat off the land. Amen. They were, you know, taking things from other people. But isn't it interesting that while they were eating at Jezebel's table, Elijah was having a feast all by himself twice a day. He was getting meat. He was like, okay, put his little bib on and say, where's my ravens? Turn my little sundial, and here it comes. <laughs> Twice a day they brought him a full meal. Wow. There's going to be provision in the midst of lack. Ha, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. so, uh, Okay. Thirdly, we need to understand. Let's go to verse uh, 17. If you're finding me, in 1 Kings 17, verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who who owned the house became sick. And his sickness, her son's sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. He died. She said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Do you ever, be honest, do you ever complain to God? Come on, God. Really? I've served you, now this? Yeah, you don't want to be honest. Okay. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? You're going to bless me with stuff but take my son? And he said to her, get this, the meat of the message here. He said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms. There are some things you can't fix in your arms, and carried him to the upper room where he was staying there's somebody staying in the upper room, oh my God, and laid him on his on elijah's bed. God have you also his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her sin? Even Elijah's griping to God." And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Resurrection. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived think somebody was dancing. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room, get this, into the, into the, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. I wonder if he said it with attitude. Then the woman said to Elijah. Now, by this, she was getting a daily miracle, and it took this. (laughs) You see, it's one thing for churches to be blessed, but when the dead start getting raised. It's one thing to be blessed financially or to be blessed with this, and we talk about that or even healing or whatever, but when people that are dead in sin, In this culture, in this day and age, when they start rising from the dead, when the 20s and 30s who don't even believe in God and never set foot in church in their life, when they start getting raised up, coming out of drugs, coming out of all kinds of sin and darkness, and here they come. Hallelujah. By this I know, by this, by the resurrection, by people coming back to life, that the word of the Lord is in you is in your mouth uh, is the truth. Uh, listen, the church, the world is criticizing and laughing and ignoring the church, but there's coming such a move of God, such a miraculous move of God that they're gonna say, surely God has visited his church again. Hallelujah. The world, the world is sick and tired of religion. The world is sick and tired of traditions that that are dead, that aren't reaching anybody, that aren't changing anybody's life. It's time we find a way to make an impact on this city, amen. And it's only going to come through the miraculous, not some cute program. Give him a praise, amen. Come on, give him a praise. Every church needs to have an upper room. There's the house, and then there's an upper room. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. In this case, uh, there's a bedroom where the prophet was, where the prophet could stay and pray and seek God. Uh, there, listen. There's a high place in every church. There's, there ought to be. Now, some churches don't have it. And this upper room, listen, he was the only one in the upper room. When you come to a prayer meeting and there's only five or six people there, don't get discouraged. It's the upper room. Everybody doesn't go there. I'm not discouraging you because everyone is welcome. But the fact of the matter is it's a small group, but it took one man to raise the dead. And it takes just a small group. And again, I I don't, you know, I kind of didn't want to say that because I didn't want to give you another excuse, including peanut butter, for not coming. For not coming to these prayer meetings. You need to come, they are life changing. But when they come, it's a different atmosphere, it's a different thing. It's not a huge crowd of people, it's not about crowds. It's about Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain and seeing a transformation. The, even the other uh, disciples didn't see it. He just took three with him. I, I don't know what that's about. But, and maybe that's you. Maybe you need to understand you are one of the three. You need to go to the upper room. But watch how this works. He said, give me your son. The house, the house, I believe that's the house. We need to turn things over to the upper room. And he carried the boy. You know what that's called? That's called the burden of prayer. Don't, don't, don't be fooled. Prayer is work. prayer is hard and it gets harder when you go from just praying for yourself when you're in trouble to going to praying for everyone else when they're in trouble that's a whole different world and we need to start turning that over <laughs> there are certain people in a church that are willing to carry the burden of prayer everybody prays i hope but we but few of us carry the burden unto himself, up the stairs. If he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Oh, my God, help us. Is this okay? And then he throws himself on the boy. Hand to hand, foot to foot, mouth to mouth. It takes that kind of investment. I, I like these people who like to pray from afar. <laughs> they're, they're never really around when you need them. They're not willing to invest of themselves. They just like to complain and gripe, talk about what's wrong we need to start throwing ourselves. Boy, it's quiet in here. I think I'll just sit down and look at you for a while. What if I got quiet? We need to start throwing ourselves and take our very breath and breathe it into what's dead. There's dead things even in the church. Come on. We need to start breathing life into. Is this making sense? I, I, I know in another room that, that, that was Elijah. No, this is Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, real quick. I, oh, I, need, I need to get going. Chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, ben Hur? 2 Kings. That might have been my fault. But you remember, if you could find 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're not going to preach Ben Hur today. I think that's a movie. But you remember the story where the prophet comes by and the rich woman says, we need need to take care of the man of God. I love people who like to take care of the man of God. Hospitality will bless you. So it fell on the day that Elisha passed to Shunem uh, where there was a great woman, uh, meaning wealth, (laughs) and, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as he passed by, he turned in thither, to eat bread. She was exercising hospitality. How many know there's power in hospitality? Listen, a lot of blessings come when you're hospitable instead of complaining. And she said unto her husband, you know, behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. And uh, so let's... uh, let, let's make a little chamber, an upper room. I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, say a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes into comes in comes to us that he shall turn in thither. So an upper room needs to have these five things. It needs to have a wall. It needs to be built on the wall because that's where watchmen are. The watchmen are on the wall. <laughs> It's interesting. I'm going to speak on this, I think, on a Wednesday night. Noah's Ark, the only window was on the third floor. The upper floor had a window. Glory to God. A cruise ship with one window. Put me on the third deck. Amen. That refers to vision. Okay? So every room needs to have a wall. In other words, it needs to have a place of vision. Number two, it had a, a bed. So uh, the upper room needs to have a place of rest, a Sabbath, a, way, a quiet place where people can go, where people can get away and just spend time with him. Can I get an amen? Number three, it has to have a table. So we're talking about food, not food in the natural but spiritual food. These people need to be Fed. We need to feed them, take care of them, speak into them, because they're speaking into us. And number five, uh, number four, it, we need a stool. What does the stool mean? The stool, you know, in the Catholic Church, the, they say the Pope speaks ex cathedra. You know, when when he speaks on religious matters, it's you know without error is what they believe. So they speak ex cathedra. You know that means out of the chair. He speaks out of authority. Amen. So, we need the chair. We need the place of authority because we are seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Amen? And number five, we need a lamp. We need revelation. So, uh, I I could preach five hours on those five things, but uh, do you understand what I'm saying? You okay? We need all that. So, here's the lessons going back to Elijah. Number one, there's a difference between the house and the upper room. We already talked about that. Number two, we need to carry the dead. To the upper room. We need to be willing to carry the burden of prayer. And number three, we must be personally invested to give life. And, you know, that also reminds me of breathing into Adam. Breathed into his nostrils. Now, there's only one way to breathe into the nostrils. You've got to be face to face. When Adam opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was the face of God smiling at him. Oh, I know some of you think he's beard and serious and has an axe in his hand, but that's Thor, the thunder god, okay? That, that's a different god. No, I, I, my my father loves me. I don't know about you. Amen. He, I I believe when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to see a smiling god, welcoming. Oh, I can't convince you. Okay. Where was I? Number three, personally invested. And then finally, number four, we return them to the arms of the church. So after the boys is raised, right, they come down. He's got the boy in his arms, and he hands him back to the house. So there's a role for the house, and there's a role for the upper room. And this is, this, we say, why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because this is where God's taking us in becoming a house of prayer. Don't get all bent out of shape if you're not quite fitting into that yet because maybe you're not called to upper room ministry yet. That's okay. You're in the house, and that's a good thing. But some of you are called to upper room ministry, and if you are, you need to be a part of what God's doing in an amazing way in this church.